1: We are dead! We are all dead! We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened?
0: I'm as as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know
1: Kung Fu.
2: You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain.
0: I'm as as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane!
2: 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power.
0: This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of.
2: More power. Welcome to the Desert.
1: Of the real. War power.
0: There can be only
1: one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? I'm
2: such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher,
1: as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy hair season. Welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is, especially with the latest AB Live audio version for thee in this eternal now. After too long of a pause, Jerry Morzinski returned for the sequel of his absorbing interview. He recapped and expanded on his research with prison inmates that revealed that the quote voices of schizophrenics are not hallucinations caused by chemical imbalances, but malignant enemies feeding off mental negativity and pain. How can we expel these psychic parasites that have invaded not only criminals, but a good portion of humanity? Find out and encounter startling data from his book, An Amazing Journey into the Psychotic Mind. And make sure you're sitting down for this one. Not much else, you shining crazy diamonds. As mentioned in the last show, I'm still scratching my noggin on why Aeon Byte had its best month in March regarding viewership, but the worst month in support in a long time, years. It's that weird paradox where people passionately resonate with the content but there is not enough generosity to take care of overhead. Changes are a coming one way or another. As always, I'm eternally grateful for those of you who support this red pill cafeteria in these Gnostic times. I've always made the content wildly available and economical. Heck and heckity, I haven't raised prices since before the pandemic. And I'm notorious for giving away full content to those who need Gnosis, including full memberships. It will all work out. Let us do our interview with Jerry Morzinski. Write your own gospel, live your own myth.
3: The lunatic is in my head. <laughs> The lunatic is in my
1: head You raise the blade You make the change You rearrange me till I'm sane
3: You lock the door and throw away the key
1: someone in my head but it's not me Welcome everybody to AB Live. Happy Friday, happy Good Friday, happy Easter, happy belated Passover, whatever works for you. Whatever you celebrate to make your life better and happier and just happy to be here. My name is Miguel Connor. I am still your pompous of and the host of um bite, and I hope everybody's having a great time live, and everybody's having a great time when the recording comes out in a couple of days. Audio, you guys know the drill, and uh, with us, somebody who I interviewed uh, too long ago, but life happens, and somebody whose work I have followed, including uh, his great podcast engineering mental sanity which you should follow and his great book uh, breaking the spell of the ivory tower and that is jerry Marzinski. jerry thank you very much for coming back on the show
3: you're more than welcome glad to be here
1: Yes and uh we will summarize your very important work I feel and uh see where we are from 3 years ago because the world ain't any more saner I feel so and I'm sure it's something to do with these things that are out there uh but with us too we've got the moon dog vans vans how are you doing
2: Oh just uh made it under the wire <laughs> little doggy running around Editing, uh, editing our one of our last shows. So, but here I am. I made it, and awesome. uh, ready to see how the archons uh, were responsible for what I, what I just went through.
1: <laughs> yeah, when in doubt, blame somebody else. I'm the That's best. That's right. Got to blame. I yourself. am the best at it. It's something. It's <laughs> some other power. Never, never my responsibility.
2: Could it so. be archons? <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Well. Um, as you know, we've made a few changes, so please, if you have any questions, uh, super chat them. I see Grandpong out there, since he is sort of a co-host and uh, guest. I think we would probably have to leave him as a, the exception, or he'll jump into the studio and tell us what's up. But uh, yeah, if you have any questions or remarks for Jerry or anybody else, please super chat them. Uh, as far as housekeeping, uh, excellent shows uh, coming up uh, We do, for the Astronosis Conference at the end of June. We have the schedule ready, and yes, it's an excellent talk on many top, well, on the Archons, and you'll love the subjects, and I'll have them for you next week. I'll send out a missive on, on the email for those of you subscribe and social media and uh yeah we will also have an interview with ralph ellis the first time he's come on the show also overdue so he'll give us his very interesting ideas on the origins of jesus and mary magdalene a little late for uh considering the easter weekend but uh, never too late to expand your mind Um, other than that let me think i will think of other things as the show goes on so jerry i don't want to sound like it's a loaded question but uh and again, we can unpack as we go, but maybe give the audience a brief overview of your work and what you're doing in relation to, well, the research you've put out.
3: A brief overview. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> kind of like, how do I do that? Oh. Well,
1: how about this? Uh, since you've talked, I mean, this, again, three years ago, we've had many guests, uh, Paul Levy, on Wittico, other guests, John Lamlash on Archons. It's a sort of idea of mind parasites, but of course they all come from different ways. Some, you know, extraterrestrials, spiritual beings, uh, so forth. Some, it's just more of the Jungian, you've created a shadow or a complex that's taken over your mind. Uh, do you agree with their work or you say your work is similar or your niche is a little okay,
3: different? Okay, yeah, yeah. If you, if you wanna start with, the parasites. <laughs> yeah, we can start there cuz it it took me years to figure this out. Um yeah. I, I noticed when I first went to uh to work in in the biggest psychiatric hospital on the planet uh back in the 70s um yeah, you know, one one thing to school I I hated about psychology is you you couldn't take anything they were teaching you and and go try it out for yourself. You know, it, it's like you can't get into a psych ward. You can't get into a prison where there's psych people. You can't get into a psychiatric hospital. You, they, they, you're sealed off. So there's no way to, to verify any of the stuff they're they're teaching you. You know, so they pounded into our heads going through, you know, I've got you know, four years of undergrad psychology, two years of counseling, two years in a psychology PhD program, eight years of programming you know that i had to overcome to get to the truth mm-hmm. of, of what was really going on um so you know first uh I, I started seeing chinks in what i was taught so that that's part of uh overcoming the ivory tower is uh they they per- pretty well you know what's seared into our minds that schizophrenia and mental illness was due to some kind of chemical imbalance in the brain of the of the patient. You know, and it's it's almost like they're they're looking for something physical that they could, they, they could justify their existence on. This is psychiatry and and big pharma. So, you know, they started out blaming mothers for schizophrenia. It's their fault. They did something to make this to screw the kid up. When that didn't wash, then they went, moved up the ladder. I mean, so with mothers, everybody can see mothers, you know, everybody can knows the good ones and the bad ones. And, and (laughs) some of the good ones have schizophrenic kids. So it's not washing out for them. You know, that's not, because people can verify for themselves what they're saying. So what they did is they jacked it up a level and they went, oh, it's, it's a genetic abnormality. All right. So now in order to find it, you need, you know, specialists, biochemists, and the special labs and, and all kinds of stuff that, to try to verify their claim. The average guy couldn't do that. The average psychologist or psychiatrist isn't going to be able to do that. You know, so they went on for years with that. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a genetic chemical imbalance. There, there's nothing you can do about it. It's mm-hmm. built into your genes. Well, some of the more honest uh, geneticists did some research on that And they couldn't find any schizophrenia gene. A whole bunch of them couldn't find any. So they they published that. And then, you know, the deep state, big pharma, oh, no, that can't be true. But, you know, they they verified it, you know. So that one was out, you know. So they moved it up uh, to the same kind of thing, you know. And the whole time I've worked on the front lines of mental health, it's close to 35 years. I never, ever, ever saw a researcher in any one of those facilities I worked at. And I worked at dozens of them, never saw one. They just don't get in there. They don't allow them in. They don't allow them in the mental health centers. They don't let them in psych hospitals. It's like, okay, we'll tell you what this is and you just believe us. Well, I never had a, a deep trust for authority. So I always, <laughs> I always kind of was skeptical. So the more chinks I saw, the, you know, the more it fed. So the next one they jacked it up to is, and I believe this was Eli Lilly, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, you know, back in the 80s, I think it was, when they came out with Prozac. Mm-hmm. They came out with this chemical imbalance theory. Yeah. So they, they printed up all this garbage. Uh, they promoted any kind of research. that kind of hinted at that. They made sure other Other researchers never got into the journals to do anything to detract from that. And here they were off and running again with a reason for schizophrenia. So what happened eventually is researchers who were doing autopsies on schizophrenics who had been in hospitals for years taking these toxic psych meds that they were feeding them, they found that their brains were shrunk like peanuts. Oh, wow. One after another, after another. So they published these results, and big pharma and the psychiatric mafia went nuts. Oh no! Oh no! It's <laughs> it's not our drugs. No, no drugs. It's the schizophrenia. They, they did it. Yeah, it, it, it's what the, whatever that is. They, it's the cause of it. You know. So they 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 went nuts. They just didn't want to hear anything like that. So the researchers said, "Okay, well, let's." You need more more. Uh, uh, Evidence they started feeding these psychotropic drugs, mostly antipsychotics, which <laughs> do damage to your physical system. They started feeding these to rats and monkeys, and they found out it did the same thing. you know, so what these drugs are doing they are they're they're major tranquilizers, but they actually are killing the person's brain with long term use. They rot out the peripheral nervous system. They rot out their brains. Of course, you you know, psych patients aren't ever told this. Their families aren't ever told this. You know, they, they, I've watched them time after time after time. They, they'll tell the patient about maybe some of the major uh, side effects of these drugs. Oh, your mouth will get dry. Your, your, vision may get blurry for a while. It, mm. uh, may, you know, that kind of stuff. They don't tell them about the, the uh neurological effects, you know, uh, akinesia and that kind of stuff. When they come in shaking from these meds because they're toxic, they, they are, they are toxic. So they come in with their, are jittery, they're shaking from these meds and they go, oh, oh, we got a cure for that. And they give them another drug like cogentin to kind of tamp down those, those uh, side effects. So here's the person's brain being rotted out, but they're not feeling it because they're, they're, tamped down with these other drugs. So uh, once, you know, even before I got to that point, you know, I was watching psychiatrists, what they did. I was working shoulder to shoulder with them for, you know, 35 years. And I I watched what they did. They bring the the person in. They talk to them about 15, 20 minutes. They formulate some kind of diagnosis. And then they order some kind of med.
1: I've been there, yeah, eleven yeah. years ago, yeah
3: yeah, so so I'm watching what they're doing with schizophrenics you you've been taking you take any of those drugs the, the those the antipsychotic drugs,
1: oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, been yeah, like him? fifteen years, yes, yeah, so yeah, well, a yeah. whole bunch of May, them, I went through the whole
3: <laughs> maybe you ought to speak let me let me write a note of where I'm at uh, okay, baseline, go ahead and speak.
1: Hello, are you talking to me?
3: Yeah, yeah. Speak on what it felt like to be on those drugs.
1: Ugh, horrible! Like it felt like I was wearing somebody else's skin. It's a weird feeling. I mean, yeah, the dry mouth, all that. But yeah, I felt I was wearing another human being's skin.
3: How, how did it affect your thinking and how you came across?
1: Just groggy. Didn't make sense. I thought I was talking well and people would look at me like, what are you saying? Falling asleep at the wrong time. Uh, yeah, definitely seeing things that weren't there. So.
3: Yeah. So so these these drugs are are toxic. Mm-hmm. No ifs, ands or buts about it. Of course, they won't tell you that, you know. So when I was in the state hospital, I'd been, you know, been hammered into my head that schizophrenia was a. um chemical imbalance but when i watched what the psychiatrist did you think if it's a chemical imbalance in the brain there would be some way to measure that you know because there's like what 23 different neurotransmitters in the brain Mm -hmm. you know at different levels so what was the baseline you know i never saw them give a lab test or any other kind of test ever to test what chemicals in the brain were out of balance or by how much Mm -hmm. ever so how do they know what they're treating? How do they know if, if it's a chemical imbalance? How, how do they know anything that they don't? They just dig into their pocket and go, oh, well, uh, you know, I guess this drug might work best for this. And they like with, you know, almost like a dartboard. And they you walk out with a prescription. Anybody who goes into a psychiatrist's office, you're, you're virtually never going to come out without a prescription for some toxic psychiatric drug. I mean, that's,
1: that's a lot it, of them it, too. Yeah. Like yep, five items there. sometimes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. 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 You yeah. Know, so I asked the psychiatrist once, I said, what, you know, how do you know what the baseline is? What, what's the deal? I mean, if it's a chemical imbalance, what, what's out of balance by how much, and what are you treating? And they went, Oh, the, uh, the, uh, pharma, pharmacology guys, uh, big pharma took care of that. You know, they did all the research in their labs and I'm like thinking, what are you thinking? You know, it's, it's like, what? You know, that's like letting the fox into the hen house and giving him run of the place. So it's like, what the frick is going on here? So I strongly suspected that chemical imbalance was a bunch of crap. You yeah. um, know, so it went from there and it was like every. Every step, I found that there was a deception by the system. Uh, just made made my distrust stronger. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things we wanted to start off with um, the uh, parasitic part of these voices. Okay. One thing I noticed. Uh, well, there, there were there were two main things, three main things I noticed right off the bat with the voices. Uh, and, and I got into trouble with psychiatry for asking patients questions about the voices. Really? Uh, I, I was pu- Oh, yeah. I was pulled up into their office. I was told the voices are hallucinations.
2: You know?
3: By asking questions about them, you're mm-hmm. making the patient worse. And I was ordered to stop. Okay. So they wanted no investigation into the voices. All right, none at all. Uh, so I had to be real careful there it was, It was when I got to the prison that I was able to really start grilling some of these guys uh but But what I found all the way along was that number one, the energy of the patient would would be gone once these voices attacked, and number two, the voices ran uh patterns okay so you know the first four patterns there's 23 of them so if the voices are running patterns they can't be hallucinations like the psychiatric mafia insists they are now this is something yeah. that anybody can check out for themselves if you live with a schizophrenic if you work at a psych hospital if you if you have a good rapport with these patients you can check out these patterns okay the voices are consistently negative They're derogatory, they're insulting, they're abusive, they're destructive. You know, a repeatable, predictable pattern. They're anti-religion. They don't want anything to do with religion. They don't want the person reading the Bible. They don't want them going to church. Uh, They react like worms thrown on a hot frying pan. uh, When you repeat the 23rd Psalm, you know. Why would a hallucination do that? You know, and firstly, since the voices are consistently negative and they don't deviate from that path, what is it that's holding them on that negative path? How come they're not random like everything else, like, like all other hallucinations? No, yeah. they're not random. Something is holding them on that negative path. You know, and they stay on a negative path. You won't ever hear them say anything good. You know. They're anti-religious. They foster and create negative emotion. They energetically drain their victims they get louder after sunset, they get louder when ignored. And I don't know how many times I've heard psychiatrists say, Oh, Hey, uh, just ignore them. You know, they're hallucinations. You know, I remember the first time I heard that at the psych hospital, I called the person that the psychiatrist told that to back to my office a week later. And I said, uh, well, the psychiatrist told you to ignore your voices. How's that going? He said, It ain't going well at all. Mm-hmm. They get louder. So I found that interesting. So whenever I found something like that, I I document it. And then I start asking all my other patients with schizophrenia, is this true for you? It proved true for all of them. You know, even to this day, if you try to ignore the voices, they get louder. They will not be ignored. Why would a hallucination do that? Now, they foster self-destructive behavior. They foster isolation. And that's the worst thing that uh, you could let happen to a schizophrenic because then they're locked in this room alone, listening to the crap these voices are feeding them 24 hours a day. That's the worst thing you could let happen. All right? They maneuver for increased control over the victim. They gaslight. They manipulate perception. So if the, if the schizophrenic is walking downtown and some people are laughing on the side of the street, the voices will tell them, hey, they're laughing at you. Okay. They have now this is interesting. They have complete access to the schizophrenic's memory.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: See, they're not physical beings, they're energetic beings. There is no time, there is no space, there is no matter where they're at. Okay. So they they operate at a different level of reality and, and what John Mace would call the energy universe, not the physical universe operates with different laws. So yeah. they can go into the mind of the schizophrenic and pull up every rotten thing they'd ever done and then just start blasting them with it. You know, remember the time you did this stupid uh, thing? Oh, yeah, you hurt this guy. Remember that? You know, that happened to you.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Very intense sometimes. Yeah. You pull your hair out, hit your head on the wall, all that good stuff,
3: yeah. You remember the kind of crap they were telling you?
1: Oh, of course, of course. It was, uh, yeah, horrible stuff, horrible stuff. And, yeah, even uh, since our last interview, Psalm 23, if I'm excited, works like a charm. I t- I've talked to friends who suffer from depression or they think, and I say, try Psalm 23, and 100% of the time it works. There's something magical about that. I don't know why, but it works.
3: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, the voices absolutely hate it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I've had three patients tell me, uh, you know, that reciting Psalm 23 is like throwing worms on a hot frying pan for the voices. They can't stand it. You know, so why would a hallucination do that? You know? (laughs) Yeah. They they speak in complete sentences. It's it's. See, when I got out of graduate school, I thought, oh, uh hallucinations, they you know, they're going to be here in word salad. You'd never be able to understand anything they're saying. You know, it'll be a bunch of uh, That That's what the, the impression I had when I and then when I got to the psych hospital, I was watching schizophrenics walking around, carrying on conversations with their voices just like they were talking on a telephone to somebody. Right. You could hear that one side of the, the voice, the, you know, the conversation, but you couldn't hear the other. It's, they'd be arguing with them and fighting with them and, you know, cussing them and, and all kinds, but it was in complete thoughts, complete sentences. It wasn't word salad, but like I, I believed it was. Now they, they uh, demand that the victim not tell anybody else about their presence. They will tell the victim that if you tell anybody about us, you're gonna get locked up in the psych hospital and they're gonna drug you silly. Unfortunately, that's what happens way too much of the time. You know, they're consummate liars. You can't trust them about anything. No matter what they're telling you, you can't trust them. It's they they what they're after is to get you upset. once they can get you upset, then they can take your energy. Mm-hmm they only can consume negative energy they can't stand positive energy so that's why the content of the voices is consistently negative abusive and derogatory and and they don't care they don't give a darn about you you know and they hit us all you know from time to time you're walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden you get this crazy thought to you know bang the person in in front of you in the head because they're holding yeah. you up on the sidewalk or hey why don't you, well, I wonder what would happen if I drove my car into oncoming traffic or you're standing on a bridge and you go oh yeah, maybe I uh, wonder what it would like, be like to jump I mean
1: yeah that things, weird you know, sudden death wish yeah right.
3: right so those thoughts are not coming in from from your brain you know they're coming in from outside you know, we're taught from the time we're born to thoughts uh every thought that comes into your mind belongs to you. No, far from it. Very few do, if any, you know. And <clears throat> it, it so so your 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 brain is like a radio receiver. You know, you have all these different frequencies. And the voices and schizophrenics are at a very low frequency, and the voices want to keep them there. Yeah. So it's your choice whether you choose to entertain the thoughts that come into your head. You know, if if you have a negative thought, you can hook onto it. You can entertain it by entertaining it. You're feeding it. Mm. So the, the voices just fill the patient's mind, the schizophrenic's mind with constantly negative stuff. You know, they instill fear and paranoia. And then when the, they have the person's attention, they're actually feeding off of that negativity and that fear. So th- they constantly steer the patient away from anything to generate joy. You know, they don't want the person to be happy. You know, if they find them happy, they'll divert them or do something or start some start some junk. They manipulate feeling without without speaking. So you you can be feeling fine one moment, and the next moment you just get depressed for some reason you know they can do that they they work to short circuit reason um they try to pass themselves off as the thoughts of the victim this is one of the spookiest things they do because they they can insert thoughts into our minds and those thoughts sound just like the th- tens of thousands of other thoughts you have during the day mm-hmm. you know, except they're negative and generally if it's a negative thought about yourself or somebody else, it comes from the dark side. So one of the first things a schizophrenic is going to have to learn is how to differentiate his own thoughts from the thoughts of the voices, because they sound, generally, they sound the same. Sometimes they don't, but most of the time they do. So you have all these these thoughts flowing into your mind and know that every negative one about yourself or anybody else comes from them. The other the other way to tell is by the intent of that thought, you know, does the intent of that thought match your intent for yourself? So the first thing the schizophrenic's got to know is that those voices aren't them. They don't belong to them, that they don't have a mental illness. They're not sick. They've got more of a mind virus. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and when psychiatry said, oh, you got schizophrenia and this is a life sentence, that scares the bejesus out of these people. You know, oh, it's a life sentence. All you can do is take these terrible drugs I'm giving you now. Yeah. yeah. Come on back next month and uh, pay me another 100, 200, 200 bucks.
1: Make the, yeah, make the company, make the companies rich. But Jerry, I guess somebody asking, you're talking about the suddenly came on anybody. Most people who study these sort of, again, mind parasites, these fungus that come and devour your brain and your thoughts. They assume it's because of childhood trauma or some sort of horrible trauma that opens your mind to let them in. Is that a simplified, is it, am a I oversimplifying? Over-simpl-
3: yeah, that's a kind of simplified version. So we got two levels of this, okay? You got what they call, or John Mays would call, a negative identity, mm-hmm. which is a subpersonality uh, or a negative identity that is created at the moment of a trauma, okay? So some decisions are, are made. when When you hit a trauma, your attention turns on you. Like, how did I get myself into this mess? How do I get myself out? What am I going to do? How, who am I in relation to this trauma?
1: It's a coping I, mechanism, a defense yeah, mechanism. A,
3: well, it's a survival mechanism. So, okay. so here's the mind struggling to, how do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. You know, it, that, the ego doesn't like those feelings. You know, They're horrible feelings. So it goes, hey, leave it, leave it to me. I'll take care of this. It creates a complex. It takes the negative feelings. And it buries them in the subconscious and then covers them over and Mm -hmm. goes, okay, they're gone, but they're buried alive. Okay, so it's like looking at the world through that's now a part of your mind. It's due to the trauma, but it's now become an unconscious part of your personality because you didn't intentionally bury it. The ego took it and buried it and didn't tell you anything about it. You know how they say time cures all ills? Well, bullshit. bullshit.
1: <laughs> I've learned bullshit. Yeah, you have bullshit. those wounds don't heal. Yeah, they do no, not they, heal. No,
3: especially when they're buried alive. So you got that level. So what happens is that negative identity. If if anybody that had anything to do with a trauma similar to the one that, that was buried there shows up in your sphere of influence, it's going to set off that negative identity. And you're going to either fight with that person or run. So what this is, is a phenomenon like no matter where you go, there's this particular jerk that always shows up in your face. And it shows up year after year, time after time, no matter where you go, one of these jerks is going to show up and get in your face.
2: Right.
3: Okay. That's what we're talking about. That jerk is setting off that negative identity that your ego buried and is now in your subconscious mind. And you're now viewing the world through that negative identity. So every time one of these jerks shows up, that thing reacts. It doesn't respond. It reacts. It's like, well, that SOB, get him away from me. I don't want to deal with him. I can just feel him. Keep him away from me. You know, that kind of thing. So you got that level, but when the trauma continues to build up and the negative and the vibration gets lower, you know, I think virtually every schizophrenic that I've talked to had some kind of major trauma, and usually repeated traumas. Okay.
1: Abuse so, stuff like uh, that. Yeah. Sexual
3: you know, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Uh, uh, but there's a one-to-one correspondence between trauma and psychosis. The other, the other uh, correlation with psychosis mm-hmm. is you know so, so there, there's no chemical imbalance crap here you know <laughs> you know there's there's a one to one correspondence there but i think I, I i gave you there's like uh how many of these uh, uh there's, there's 28 patterns but the the point is that if the voices are following predictable repeatable patterns they are not hallucinations like the psychiatric mafia has brainwashed everybody to believe mm-hmm. now the, all these points that i brought up Are completely verifiable by you. You know, you don't need no geneticist, you don't need no chemical engineer. You can see it for yourself. If you're working around schizophrenics or you're dealing with them, these patterns are active. So schizophrenia is not caused by a hallucination, it's not caused by a chemical imbalance. It's caused by the voices, or what you guys would call the archons. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Okay? It's a negative identity. Now, the way I came to discover that, it took probably more than 10 years, you know, so here I am seven years at, the, at this gigantic state hospital that had like 10,000 patients there while I was there. I didn't know anything. I mean, anything, everything I was taught in school was of very little use to dealing with schizophrenics. What they were doing there is like, take your meds. If you don't take your meds, we're going to force them on you that's the only thing they knew to deal with they tried all this other crap if you if you you know in, in the book that we wrote you can go through the history of psychiatry and all the tortures they tried on these people to to work you know when i was at the state hospital they were giving them shock treatments Ooh. this this was like uh, running i don't know how many enough volts through their brain to cause them to snap their arms if if they weren't strapped down tightly
1: Oh my God! They and wanted to do that to me 20 years ago. Thank God I said no. Well, they said I, they, they told me, "Oh, it won't hurt. It's different than the movies." <laughs> Which well, it depends didn't on how them. long
3: ago was. Yeah, good yeah. for you. <laughs> you know, and and it will get rid of the voices for a few days, maybe, but that's right. it. You know, it destroys your brain. You know, so um, let me see. Where was I going?
1: you're talking about your experience, how you started discovering oh, okay. there was, were I, different I, treatments. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah, there, there all, this, all this garbage. But we're going for um, the parasitic part, okay? You know, the, the voices are paras, parasites. How I found that out. So uh, I knew for, for, for more than a decade that the, the, when the voices showed up, the patients felt drained. Schizophrenics felt drained. Oh, the other thing I left out with uh, the cause for schizophrenia is amphetamine. I've seen more prisoners go insane on amphetamine than any other drug. It's very dangerous. The prisoners called it the devil's drug. Hmm.
1: Interesting, because so, I'm writing a bio on Elvis and Philip K. Dick, and they both swore that's what gave them their energy and inspiration. Oh, yeah. They destroyed a, their, their health in the end. Yeah. They <laughs> both died young.
3: Well <laughs> Philip Dick didn't didn't the FBI polish him off?
1: No, no, no. No, no. they
3: didn't. Okay.
1: No.
3: Well, if it, it will, it'll make you feel like a Superman. You know, stay up for days <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and tons of energy. You feel you feel like Superman. It feels great. So but what happens is eventually you start hearing voices and seeing shadow people. Now schizophrenics oh. see those shadow people also. They're three dimensional shadows. And if you can see their eyes, you're in much worse shape than if you can't.
1: Really?
3: I use that as a clinical diagnosis with schizophrenics and uh, uh, meth addicts.
1: My wife yeah. sees them every day. She's always telling, oh, they're over here, they're over there. Interesting. She's just gotten used to living with them.
3: Well, that's 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 interesting. That they she's can- a very
1: religious woman. She prays, does the rosary, all that. She's not like, she's functional, happy.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, I've never seen them hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I do have a story where they scared the dickens out of me once, but it wasn't. <laughs> it, it, it was like somebody who'd been dealing with them for years. It was a, uh, uh, but yeah, that the, they they're basically harmless. They scare you,
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know. So it'd be interesting if if she could say the twenty third psalm to them or something like that, and, and see what they know. see what see yeah. what they do. You know, but the way it starts with meth addicts is they will start hearing voices and then they'll go, oh, that's just a hallucination. And they come down and it's gone. So they're convinced it's a hallucination and it may happen maybe another 10 times. And then one day they don't go away. And they're hearing voices just as bad as any psychotic or any schizophrenic. They're now schizophrenic. Those voices aren't going to go away. So this is a very dangerous drug. You know, you shouldn't mess with it. I've had a lot of patients or uh, prisoners who, who were prescribed um, Adderall and Ritalin as kids. Oh. Okay. And, you know, they felt better than they ever felt. They were able to concentrate, but they kept pushing it. They kept taking more and more and more until they had to go out on the streets and buy it. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, why'd you do that? You were already feeling as good as you ever felt. Why do you do that? Their answer was, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that was me, my last relapse 11 years ago. It was exactly like that. Before yeah. I knew it, yeah, I was out there.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will do it. So back to back to how I found their parasite. Now, ask any questions you guys want. I
2: mean, just, you know. Sure, Vance,
1: uh, from you or the audience.
2: Okay, uh, we did have a question about, um, is this a, uh, would you frame this as kind of demonic possession? How does this all relate to demonic, you know, the classic demonic possession, Francis? Well, well, I'll
3: I'll tell you, that's a very direct relationship to it. Matter of fact, the way we kind of stumbled on it is that um, I I was, uh, I met a, Clinical psychologist who was working at a uh, psychiatric hospital, a state psychiatric hospital in California. Both of us were reading the works of Emanuel Swedenborg, who was a Christian mystic.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. And after <laughs> after my first kind of scary event with the voices, I mean, it was a, a terrified event, terrifying event. I knew I had to reach this guy if he was still alive. And he was also experimenting with the voices, but he was trying to make friends with them to try to get them to tell him, you know, what they were all about. So he would carry on long conversations with them. And he didn't get very far with them. They had different degrees of intelligence. Um, He gave them a Rorschach once. He he gave the, uh, the, the voices a Rorschach. And he gave the patient a Rorschach independently. And he said the results were that the voices were much more psychotic than the patient was. Yeah. You know, so I, I found that interesting. So he he was writing that there was a one-to-one correspondence between what the Christian mystic Emanuel Swedenborg said about the demons that he met when he was traveling through hell and what... Um, Dr. Van Dusen was seeing and working with patients. So the voices matched what he was seeing uh, in, in Swedenborg. When I reached him, I went, yeah, you're right. You know, I see the same thing. You know, they match the description of demons, like Swedenborg said, that's the way they act. And that's, you know, uh, So, yeah, I would say this is, schizophrenia is not anything to do with the physical. It is a spiritual battle. You know, it's a spiritual battle against these demons that are trying to take control of these patients. And if they don't fight back, these things are like bullies. They'll knock them down. They'll just keep kicking. They don't care. They will drain every ounce of energy they have. So, Moondog, do you think that answers your question there?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And And... of course, the subject comes up. Uh, well, demons—is it the traditional devil, or is it like Gnostic archons, or or you know somewhere between, or just a universe full of chaotic entities, some of which no, are bad? No, 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 they're good.
3: not. No, they're not chaotic entities. They're usually assigned to destroy the person that they're infesting. Now, the other main source of them are earthbound entities. Okay, so the dark side entities—they like call them the dark, uh, yeah, like dark side entities. Um, they're assigned by higher demonic forces to destroy certain people. Okay? And they're stuck with those people. If they don't, they're told, if you don't destroy this person, you, you failed and, you, you know, you will either cease to exist or you'll be thrown into the pit. And and I've heard the pit mentioned several times by the voices, whatever it is, they don't like it. You know, They don't want to go there. Uh, <clears throat> So um you got you got the dark side entities that are assigned to destroy particular people and then you got the earthbound entities so somebody got killed on earth or they committed suicide they don't go into the light nobody comes to get them and they go and they jump into the nearest person that they think they can you know get into All right so they're not demonic but they are, they are destructive because you have another entity inside of you. Now you'll, you'll see a lot of times where people who have heart transplants or lung transplants or something like that um, all of a sudden they, they start eating food that they never ate before that they didn't even like before, mm-hmm. you know um, you know, stuff like that. So these earthbound entities are, they're not, they're, it's not good for them to be, they, they're not pro- progressing in their spiritual path. They're stuck in the person. They're messing up the person. They're not doing either one of them any good. And lots of times you can talk them out and ask them to go into the light. Okay. Now the the other kind, and and I've seen this is fairly rare, are um, entities from other planets. You know th- that Whoa. that get in there
2: aren't there good ones i mean i'm getting frustrated here it's like well well, the,
3: the good there are good ones but um generally the good ones don't speak in uh right up front and and just they don't talk unless the person's on the verge of death okay so um the way that would happen i had uh okay and they interfere. So, from the last the last ten years of my career, when I was working for somebody else and didn't have my own private practice, I was working in the ERs in the big hospitals all over all over Tucson. But I remember the stories that these people brought in. So, um, the the good ones they don't interfere unless you ask them. So. They, they're they watching over you. Your guardian angels are watching over you, but they're not allowed to interfere unless you ask for their help. They're not like these dark ones that can just barge in there. So ask them for help. They're, they're waiting for you to ask. That
2: makes now, sense.
3: Now, them interfering at the last moment, you know, from working 10 years in the ER, I'll just give you one or two stories. Uh, uh, there was this one lady who... Everything was going wrong in her life. She lost her husband. She got divorced. She lost her job. She was about to get thrown out of her apartment. Nothing was going right for her. Uh, she had a teenage son who was driving her crazy. And after after a long period of this, she went, "Okay, I'm done. I'm 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 out of here." So she went and she got some alcohol and she got some pills and she went off to a railroad track. You know, small town. You know, uh, uh, maybe. 50 miles out of Tucson, and was waiting at this railroad track that was kind of an abandoned crossing. And she was she was calling her sister in um, San Diego, telling her goodbye. And when the train came, she drove around the guardrails, stopped the car right in the middle of the track, and the train blew its horn and and bashed bashed her car, just just no. threw her car into the next track. And here's here she's sitting in the next track, and another train came along and hit her again. So she, the train threw her car; it was it was like a crushed piece of beer can. Now she's trapped in there. She's thrown off the road like fifty yards into the desert. She could not get out, and here she is sitting in front of me just a couple hours later with just a black eye.
1: Oh my God! And wow. I'm
3: sitting there going, "What?" you you got hit by two trains (laughs) and all you got is a back eye, you know? So right away I was curious. I said, uh, well, what were you thinking when you came to, you know? And she said, well, I came, I came to inside of the crushed car. I was pinned in there. I couldn't get out. She said, but I was furious. She said, absolutely furious. I did not want to be here. I wanted to be dead. I didn't want to come back here. And I was mad. And she said, all of a sudden she felt this, very peaceful feeling just come over her, you know, and, and she knew everything would be all right. And she was told everything will be okay. And they, they cut her out of that. Here she is sitting two hours later, sitting in front of me in the ER, which is the black eye. And after talking to her, I didn't feel she was suicidal anymore. I think I thought she'd learned her lesson, you know, (laughs) and I, and I knew if, if I recommended she be admitted, they'd probably do that. And then they'd fill her full of drugs. That's what they do. You know, you don't get out of a psych hospital without being filled with drugs.
2: You know? that's what it's so all about. Yeah.
3: So that's what it's all about. So I recommended that. Uh, I, I told, I, I told them I didn't feel she was suicidal anymore. You know? And wrote <laughs> up. I said, I recommend she be released. I didn't think they'd do that, but the psychiatrist did. You know it was incident after incident after incident like that where some force showed up and interfered with the person killing themselves I mean there were so many it was like uh it was like lobsters in Maine a hundred years ago they were just all over the place they use them for dog food I should have been writing these down but I only remember a, you know like a handful uh, another one was a guy who had a, a three fifty seven magnum you know, put it to his head. The voices were driving him nuts. Put it to his head and went click. Aimed it at the floor went bang. Put it to his head, click. Put it at the floor, bang. He goes, "Okay, I got it."
1: <laughs> <laughs> so wow, that's pretty. I got,
3: wild. I, I got story after story after story like that. You know, so that's the, that's how they operate. They 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 will they will appear like serendipitously if you ask for their guidance and help. They come in dreams, you know, uh, a car may pull in front of you with a bumper sticker that says something that relates to what you were thinking about or worried about. Usually that's the way they come, you know, and they, they'll interfere that way. But the bad ones, they they can just barge in there for some reason, you know, they, they shouldn't be able to do it. But I, I noticed uh, back at the state hospital that there was a one to one correspondence. uh between the voices attacking these people and their energy levels disappearing to nothing. And I thought for probably more than 10 years that the reason for that is because the the content of the voices is so awful. You know, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're crazy. uh, uh, Mm -hmm. Nobody likes you. uh, They're just faking like they like you. People are laughing at you behind your back. Every negative comment you can think of that you've ever heard comes from them. Okay. So you got that crap going on. I think if, you know, if I was hearing that kind of crap 24 hours a day, uh, you know, I think uh, I'd be depressed too. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you have to, there's no way around
3: it. And and my energy would drop down to nothing also. You know, so I was attributing it that to the content of what the voices were saying. But one day I always got assigned to the, the worst units at the, at the prison. <laughs> but that was okay because I was an adrenaline junkie. I, loved, I thrived on that kind of stuff. So it, it didn't much bother me. Um, but I was assigned to a medium custody prison and at the same time assigned to the jail for the entire prison complex. So the, so the worst of the worst went to that jail from all the units all over the prison. So I walk into my office one morning and here's an inmate letter from an inmate in that detention to this central detention unit which was the jail for the prison. And it's basically saying, uh, my roommate's crazy. He's a bed bug. He stays up all night, paces back and forth on the floor, talking to voices to somebody I can't see. And now he's started standing over me at 3 in the morning and just staring down at me. So here they are sealed into this 10 by 10 cell. Mm-hmm. half of which is taken up with bunks and a sink and a toilet. So there's not a lot of room in there, you know? So uh, he's, he's going, please come and do something about this guy, you know? So uh, that same time, uh, I got a call from almost back to back from the captain who was running that unit saying, hey, we got problems over here. You need to come over and look at these two guys, see what you can do. And uh, so I looked up the the prison record of the guy who wasn't crazy and who was saying this other guy was standing over him at three in the morning, just staring at him. And what he was what he was in there for, at least in, in the CDU for, was he snitched off the Aryan Brotherhood, which is a nasty white prison gang. You know, these swastika guys, you know,
1: wow.
3: really nasty guys. Uh, he snitched off one of their drug deals. And they had already stabbed him once. So he was there in for protective custody. And they wanted him dead so bad that a couple of them got in trouble just so they could get thrown into that oh detention unit and have a chance to get this guy. So they were already over there. And they were shooting notes under his door saying, we're here waiting for you. You know, we're right here in the same cell block. First chance we get. You're dead. And they're throwing these notes under his door, you know. And so you couldn't be under more stress than that poor sucker. You know, he's living in a, in a little shoebox with a, a floridly psychotic prisoner who was in for who knows what, you know, could have been in for murder for, for all we knew. I never did look him up because I knew he was nuts. And uh, <clears throat> And then he's got these gangsters waiting to kill him outside the cell block you know, outside yeah. in the cell block. So I brought them, I brought them in one at a time. So first I called in the guy who was, you know, he was sane, but, but he was trapped in there with this guy. And I watched him come up the steps and uh, he, he, you know, he virtually bolted up the steps. He didn't use the handrail. He had, his skate was normal. He sat down in the chair. He was attentive. Uh, his speech was normal. He was a little bit anxious, of course. But otherwise, he came across, you know, fairly normal. I didn't see any mental illness with him. I didn't see anything other than he was trapped with a psychotic in his a, in a shoebox. You know, so I said, I'll, uh, you know, I'll do what I can for you. You know, they'll, they'll, I have to get a psychiatrist to come see him and see the other guy, you know, to calm him down. So I brought him back and I brought the other guy in, the 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 psychotic guy and watched as he climbed the steps and he didn't have any energy at all. He had to use the guardrail. He was kind of struggling to get up the steps. He made the second flight. He's kind of dragging his feet. He came into the office. He sits down. He's, he's slumped in the chair. He he doesn't have any energy. You could tell he's just depressed and washed out. And uh, I asked him, are you hearing voices? He said, yes, they're, they're horrible. He says, I'm hearing t- scores of them. You know, um, and I said, uh, "How's your energy level?" He said, "Very, very low." And uh, after I wrote down the clinical information on him, I sent him back and watched him just kind of shuffle back to the cell. And as I, as I was leaving that that detention unit, you know, shortly after I went, it's not, it's not the, um, it, it, it's. It, it's not the negativity of the voices themselves, you know. It's not the it's not the anxiety associated with them themselves. Uh, it's not it's not the content. Something else is going on here, you know. So, uh, or the the anxiety. So it, it was like it's it's not due to the anxiety, you know, because nobody could be under more anxiety than that poor guy mm-hmm. who was locked in with a psychotic and and gangsters trying to kill him. It you know that, that's pretty bad. You know, the, the anxiety doesn't get much higher than that. So he wasn't psychotic. And I'm, I'm like, OK, it's not the anxiety that these things are causing. Something else is going on. So I saw that there was a one-to-one correspondence between the patients, the schizophrenics who were hearing voices and the attacks of the voices and their energy diminishing to zero. OK, this was like an ide- uh, ideal um controlled experiment these guys were in the same cell eating the same food with the same guards with the same inmates you know everything was equalized there were no exterior factors that could have interfered with this i mean it was a direct comparison with everything else equalized it wasn't the anxiety these voices were doing something else so i was reading a book by um Well, first of all, I was I was working with uh, a select group of prisoners who were psychotic in the prison unit I was I was working in. So I carefully screened them and we made a deal. You know, I said, I'll do everything I can to help you out. But when we meet, what I want you to do is you tell me in real time when you're hearing the voices and what they're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, now, not all prisoners would do that, you know. So I always had a select group of 10 to 15 who would, you know, and I would work with them on a continuous basis and we'd talk to the voices. I'd experiment with the voices. Uh, I found, I found they ran patterns. And then I started experimenting with ways to disrupt those patterns. As soon as I started doing that, these prisoners started coming back and complaining, the voices don't like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. They don't like me coming here. They don't want me to come. They don't want me to do what you say. And it wasn't just one of them. It was one after the other, after the other, after the other. The voices didn't want any interference with those patterns that I just read you. Okay. Anything to went against those patterns, they got upset at. You know, and that was consistent with every single one of them. And it goes on right now. Okay. So that's not a hallucination it's consistent so um, here's all these reports coming in that uh, uh, they don't they don't like me messing around with those patterns
1: and there you have it yeah, shining crazy diamonds Jerry's work is as red-pilling as it is important for the healing of the collective consciousness of our culture. Intensity continues in our second part. As mentioned in the intro, a lot of success, but not much support these days. So I'll leave it at that. If you do find value in the content, please support. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself. Your true self here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye as always.